Welcome to the Nen Valley Vineyard podcast. What you're about to listen to is some teaching from our Sunday services. We're a church made up of people from Wellingborough through to Oundle spread across the Nen Valley and beyond. If you want to know more about us or find out how to get involved, visit our website, which is nenvalley.church, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Nen Valley Vineyard. So we've been, oh, I've forgotten what the title of the series was. It's up there. It's unfamiliar. So we have been looking at unfamiliar stories. And this story that we're going to look at today, when I say story, I don't mean it's fiction. I don't mean it's made up. It's in the Bible and it's true. And it is an account of Naaman who was healed of leprosy. And I'm going to ask Carrie, wherever she is, to come and read the the story to us. It's from 2 Kings, chapter 5, and it's the first 19 verses. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Make the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in rage. 
Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. And as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept the gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry for your servant. will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. Thank you very much. So if we, as we look at this story, we see there's a cast of characters here. We have Naaman, who is the mighty commander of Aram. We have the prophet Elisha, who's a man of God, who'd asked Elijah for his anointing when Elijah went to be with God. And we have two kings. But I think the most significant people in this account are the servants. Because if you look about down in verse 3, there was a young girl we don't know her name. All we know is that she was a slave girl that had been captured and taken to Aram. And it says in verse 3, she said to her mistress. Now, she was a girl who'd been taken away to a foreign land. She might have been quite scared. I think she loved her mistress. But she said to her mistress, she spoke up. And if she hadn't said anything... Naaman might not have ever gone to Elisha. He might never have been healed. And that tells me that we could be one of a class of 30 pupils in a school. And we think that nobody knows our name. But if God gives us someone to talk to about Jesus, if we take that courage and we speak, who knows what God will do with that? Look at the difference just that girl speaking out did to this, this man and even to his king, maybe. So we have the young girl who spoke up. And as a result of that, Naaman was sent off to the king of Israel. And I think this is quite funny, this bit. The king of Israel gets a letter from the king of Aram, and the letter says, I don't know if there was any more in this letter, but it says, with this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of leprosy. And I imagine him, it says he tore his clothes. That means he was really distraught because he'd got this letter. How am I going to cure this, this man of leprosy? 
How can I do it? Remember, this is before the days of Jesus when he couldn't pray over him in the name of Jesus. I can't just, I, I had visions of, if you ever watched Dad's Army, Private Fraser shouting, we're doomed, we're doomed. Because <laughs> he thought that the king of Aram had just sent this man to him, told him to cure him of leprosy, and he was going to start a war over this. But Elisha hears about it. And I often wonder, you know, how Elisha heard about this. Because Elisha had a special anointing from God. If you read a chapter or so further on, the king of Aram thought he had a spy in his camp. Because the king of Israel seemed to know everything he was about to do. And the reason he knew was because Elisha was hearing it from God and telling it to the king of Israel. Elisha wanted this double anointing from Elijah, who he came after. And when he asked for a double anointing, he wasn't asking for twice as much. What he was asking for was the anointing of the firstborn son, because the firstborn son always got double, because they had to carry on the family business. And Elijah had said to him, well, you can have this anointing if you see me when I'm taken up. So Elijah thought, right. And then Elijah said, I'm going to Jericho. Elisha said, I'm coming with you. He said, you stay here, I'm going to Bethel. No, I'll come to Bethel. Right, stay here now, I'm going to Jordan. Elisha said, no, I'll come with you to Jordan. And when he got to the Jordan, he watched Elijah take his cloak and cast it down on the river, and the river parted. And then he saw Elijah taken up in a whirlwind, and when he'd gone, there was the cloak on the floor. And he picked it up and he went to the river and he said, where is the God of Elijah? He struck the water and he knew then he had the anointing because the water parted again. And we read a lot about Elisha and how he really walked with God and he had these, the ability to hear God. So Naaman is then sent to Elisha, who probably had heard about the king through God, or maybe just through natural means. And off he goes with his horses. Now, you need to understand that it was a 700-mile journey for, Na for Naaman to get to Elisha's house. So you'd think that when he got there and knocked on the door, he'd get Elisha might say, we're not coming and have a cup of tea. But, you know, the equivalent of welcoming him. And what did Elisha do? He sent a messenger to say, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be cleansed. Naaman was furious. I probably would have been as well. I've come all this way and he just sends a messenger. He's offended but the thing is, you see, that I noticed about Elisha, he didn't add to what God told him to say. Warning for me today, warning for any of us who bring a prophetic word or a word for somebody. Sometimes you get the temptation, don't you? Well, God, I think God said this, but that's not very much. I'll, I'll just keep going. Elisha didn't do that. He heard God, and this is what God had said. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, you'll be cleansed. Job done. As far as Elisha was concerned, that was it, because he'd heard God, and he knew that God would do it. While Naaman is furious, because he's offended culturally, he expected the great dignitary that he was. Do you know who I am? I'm, I'm the chief commander of the, of the 
king of Aram. I expect you to come out. I expect you to stand there and call upon the name of God and wave your hand over the spot. He didn't do any of those things. He just sent somebody to the door with this message. So he was offended culturally. He was offended intellectually as well. This man is the commander of an army and a very successful commander. And I just imagine him, <laughs> situation comedy references today, but if you've ever watched the rise and fall of Reginald Perrin, CJ, who says, I didn't get where I am today by not knowing how about strategy because you see he was a commander Naaman he knew about strategy and he thought that what Elisha was telling him to do was patent nonsense to go and bathe in this dirty river and I would get cleansed of leprosy what that doesn't make any sense it's ridiculous and he's offended personally because at least when he'd come all this way Elisha might have shown his face and not just stayed indoors and ignored him. Couldn't even come to the door. 700 miles I've come and he doesn't even come to the door. See, the point is Naaman got the message from God that he needed, but he didn't get the message he wanted. And I wonder how often I am like that. I might want a message from God, but God will give me the message that I need, not the message that I want. We have this tendency sometimes, I do anyway, to want to hear God on my terms. And as I prepared this, I had to think to myself, well, what is my Jordan River? See, the Jordan River was the thing that he didn't, Naaman did not want to do. He did not want to go and bathe in this river. But maybe in a sense, we have a Jordan River. We may have things that we're not willing to hear God tell us to do. So that's a challenge for us. What is my Jordan River? And God's way is not our way. It says in Isaiah, his ways are higher than our ways. And will I do what he tells me to do? Fortunately, we had more servants in the mix. The servants seemed to be doing a good job here. They calmed him down. They said, well, why don't, why don't you give it a go? It could work. And it did, as it happened. But sometimes God won't answer in the way that we want him to answer. He won't do things the way we want him to do. He'll say things that we might not want to hear. One example of this is in Peter on the roof in Acts when God gave him a vision of all the unclean foods and told him to rise, Peter, kill and eat. He said, no, no, Lord, you know we don't do that. We're Jewish. We don't eat that sort of thing. And he had to tell him three times because God won't always work in the way that we think. He might not always speak to us in the way or through the people that we expect him to. Maybe sometimes he might even want to speak to us through a church tradition that we don't agree with. God might have something to say. Might be through people that we don't particularly get on with or we think that we might be more advanced in the kingdom than they are. But God can use anybody. He used that servant girl and Naaman listened to her. So 
what if he speaks to me through a little child? He can speak through anybody. I think there's a story in the Bible, I know there is, where he spoke through a donkey. So are we humble enough to allow God to speak through anyone and to say what he wants to say to us, even if it's not the word we want? Sometimes it'll be the very word, the word that we don't want is the word that we need. There's a story told of the desert fathers where there's a man who wanted a revelation from God. So he decided he'd fast until he got it. So he ate once a week and he stuck at this for 70 weeks. He got no revelation. And in the end, he thought, I can't stand much more of this. I don't think he actually thought. But he said, I know. I've not got this revelation from God. I better go and ask one of my brothers. So went out the door and he stepped out the door and he's met with an angel. And the angel said to him, I'll find the words if I can. The angel said to him, the 70 weeks you fasted did not make you any closer to God. Now, because you have been humbled and are going off to your brother, I have been sent to explain the passage to you. Sometimes we just need to ask for help. We just need to humble ourselves and ask our brother or sister. C.S. Lewis um, had this experience. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia books and Screwtape Letters and other clever books, some of which I don't understand. But he was a very clever man. And... He described himself as a reluctant convert. But when he became a Christian, he said, I thought I could do it on my own. I'd just stay in my rooms and read theology. But God said no. And he went to church and he said, I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different education. And then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, which were just six-rate music, were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic-sided boots in the opposite pew. And then, this is the bit that got me, then you realize that you aren't fit to clean those boots. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. See, we can all hear God on our own, but God speaks to us through other people and we need each other. And it's easy for, for somebody as clever as C.S. Lewis to think they don't need this old saint singing the songs in, with such devotion. But he realized how precious that person was. He wasn't even fit to clean his boots, you see. We can overlook sometimes people. It's not in the kingdom of God. It's not about how clever you are. It's about how humble you will be to learn how you will allow God to speak to you any way he wants. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the testimony of other Christians in the mouths of human beings. Therefore, Christians need other Christians who speak God's word to them. We need each other. I just want to mention about this thing about the earth that's 
when he realizes and he's humbled himself enough to accept the word of Elisha and he gets healed, he makes this bizarre request in a way to take some earth back to his own land. I think this is partly to do with the fact that in those days they believed that gods were a god of a certain area which is why the Israelites kept falling away to worship the Baals because the Baals were the fertility gods and they thought they need to worship him Baal because they need to get the crops but we know that isn't the case God is the God of the whole earth he's not just the God of an area but nevertheless, there are times when God is in a certain place. If you think about Falderban in, in, in um, Wales, uh, when people would go there and they would be, heard an account of a man who was swearing all the time, but when he went to that place, they gave him a tour, and when he got to the chapel, he could just do nothing but fall on his face and repent. So God is in certain places, but God is the God of the whole earth. And I think... Part of, part of this man wanting the earth was to do with the fact that he wanted a piece of Israel. But also maybe he just wanted to make a place where he could be with God. And I think that's an important point to consider. Just make a space, make a place where we can be with Jesus, where we can spend time with God and just be with him. So story of Naaman is quite simple in a way, but if we look at the people involved, it has a lot to teach us, especially about how we hear God. So let's just consider, do we have a Jordan River? I'm still asking myself that question, where I won't go, what I won't do. Am I prepared to let God speak to me through people that I don't always like or agree with? And will God will give me the word I need, not the word I necessarily want. So can we just pray about this? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are always for us and you will always give us your word. And you're always speaking. Help us to be humble enough to listen for your voice in perhaps the unexpected places. Would you peel off more of my conceit? Would you peel off more of my unwillingness for the things that I don't want to do? And help me, Lord, to listen to your voice. Well, thanks so much for listening to this teaching from Nen Valley Vineyard. We pray it blesses you and produces good fruit in you. If we can connect to you or help you engage with our community, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via our website, which is nenvalley.church. <laughs>